Welcome to Safety Spectrum, your environmental health and safety connection. This program is a presentation of the Michigan Safety Conference. For almost a century, the annual conference has provided credible educational opportunities and valuable support to the safety and health practitioner by offering 120 instructional programs, along with exhibits highlighting the latest in safety equipment, instrumentation, and demonstrations. To learn more about the conference, please find us at MICH, M-I-C-H, safetyconference.org. Welcome to Safety Spectrum. I'm your host, Sheila Ide. This program is sponsored by the Michigan Safety Conference, and our topic today is air reduction and HV principles and safety. You know, rules, education, and consequences are the usual tools in our toolbox for accident incident reduction. How about a system of eliminating errors from the beginning? Our speaker today will discuss his techniques for just that scenario. Doug Hill of Consumers Energy has worked in the utility industry for 35 years. He spent 28 years as a line worker in charge and service worker. He has spent the last 15 years in the safety sector, eight of those as a full-time culture team member, human performance coordinator, and a safety culture champion. He has presented at many top events in the industry, as well as the Michigan Safety Conference and MIOSHA, speaking on such topics as situational awareness, line of fire, and safety culture. Thank you for joining me today on Safety Spectrum, Doug, and let's hop to it. Good morning. <laughs> How are you? Awesome. Crazy busy, huh? Very glad to be here. Thank you. So what do you mean by error reduction? Is it even possible? So, so error reduction is really a slice of human and operational performance. You hear people talk about HP, you hear people talk human and operational performance, which is hop, but Air reduction is really like the Brazilian steakhouse slice off from uh, of that science. So human performance and hop are a science, and and it's not Doug Hill's theory, it's not Sheila's theory. It's that's actual science around the predictability of errors and and incidents. So what they really did here is we've started talking about this from air reduction and saying, hey, how do we raise our reward and lower our risk? Like not necessarily saying, hey, Sheila, you're never going to make a mistake or we're never going to have an incident, but saying, how do we put ourselves in a position to fail safely? Like really look at what what do we need to do to to really, you know, raise our reward and lower our risk and really change that edict on what happens. Because one of the statistics that is around the nation around this is that a lot of people have been able to change safety numbers um, by various programs. But the fatality rate across the nation has stayed completely flatlined. Okay. So looking at that and saying, hey, how do we look at trying to change systems so that we can drive that uh, line of serious injury and fatality um, down uh, more and more? Because we, we tell people all the time, hey, the bee stings of the world are important, but that's not what's moving you know, major safety events and, and what's happening, really looking at, you know, the things that can kill you and, and, and harm you the most and really looking at how do we put people in a better mindset systemically to look at work like that. So that seems like a long answer, but it's, that's a no. lot of what we're talking about <laughs> is trying to change the edict of saying that if it's, if, if we have an incident, that we're only looking at the individual because humans are fallible. People are going to, humans are going to make mistakes. Even the best make mistakes. So you really want to try to, you know, look at how do we systemically change that so that regardless whether it's Sheila there, Denise, myself, 
anyone else that's on that job site that they have the same chance of getting it right by the system, not by the individual. So, well, you know, I hate to use the term foolproof, but I, I mean, it was kind of a mindset that I had back in the day of if somebody is not thinking straight today, somebody's off for some reason, they don't feel well, whatever. If they make a mistake, is it going to lead to a serious accident? I think that's kind of the same idea. And I, I just wonder, you have to look at, and looking at the most serious incident first, it does seem like we spend a lot of time on the, the smaller things. You're absolutely right. right. So it's really important to think about, you know, how we change the edict and take away that flat line that we've had in the industry for a long, long time. Of course, don't you think this is a little kind of a, this is kind of a strange time after the pandemic. Uh, a lot of things change and there's, it's hard to find workers. So it seems sure. like we have less workers out there doing the same work or more. So that certainly has to lead into some of it. So again, you have to make the design more safe is my thought. Right. So what is your thought process in creating an error-free or reduction in error philosophy? Where do we start? So a lot of it is also going back to what we call the system and saying, hey, you and I are part of the center. You, We are the center of a system of people, programs, process, work environment, equipment and our organizations that we work for and us as a worker in the center of that system is affected by that system and we also affect that system and I always tell people that we have to get away from thinking about the worker as the pinnacle to safety and start thinking about how do we get the system more robust to to support that then then rely on some of the skills that the, that the worker has to enhance that not not look at them as being the, the pivotal point, which is different thinking. I mean, anytime we have an incident now, the first thing they want to do is blame someone. So they right. want to go and say, hey, Sheila, if I say to you, Sheila, why did you do that? What does that imply? That I screwed up. Yeah, you did something wrong. But if I say, hey, Sheila, I'd like you to tell me the what. Tell me what happened. And then we start unfolding the story and then you get to the part where you had a choice and you say, Doug, I had a choice to do this or this and I did this and I wished I would have done that. Now you just told me the why. Now we can start doing something with that portion of it. So a lot of what this comes down to when we're talking about creating this space is changing that edict of going to the blame culture and really start saying, hey, let's, let's know the what, and which drives us to the why. And then we start looking at the system and what in the system is failing that that we need to enhance. If we have a bad process and we don't say anything about it, the next person that goes there is going to make the same error you did because well, you we didn't need, fix the process. You need to have a comfort level, though, in being straight when investigating an accident. I think you talked about the line of fire, how you really look at the process and what you have to do and what, what has happened and what, what you need and the tools. And you really have to look it over, even though people are probably screaming at you, get the power back on. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that a lot of times it's, it's a grounding mechanism. Like, so there's a lot of things in this uh, science that have triggers. And we're going to talk about that as we move along here, talking about traps and triggers about how people get in the space. And it's really identifying personally, when you're in a, un, uh, an error likely situation um, from, from a hop perspective and, and changing your view on that. And then you can also start going out then and start helping others do that as well. So I always tell them it starts with self-reflection and changes, and then you have to go into a teamwork 
reflection and changes, not not the other way around. Yeah, can't be just somebody ordering, do it that way. Right. You've got to have some input from everybody that's involved, especially in the utility work, because a lot of times they're out there working on their own. There's not somebody sure. overlooking it. So it's very And they have choices work. to make every single day that could not only injure them, but injure the public, injure other workers. I mean, just a lot of things that have to happen. So systemically, you want them to be sound so that no matter who we send there, their chances of getting it right are better than than average. They're, they're better than we were yesterday. And I, I always say it's like continuous improvement. You hear a lot of people in lean manufacturing talking about how do you continuously improve? That That's basically what you're trying to do today is say, hey, if we save one today, let's save two tomorrow. Let's save three the next day. Let's start thinking about how we compound that, not not how we drain the ocean in one day. That doesn't work. <laughs> so there's a review process after every major incident. I was well, even on one that goes well. Do you have a, a review process built in to say, hey, here's how we did it, and this worked really well? We do, and we really spend a lot of time. I'm you know really proud of our company for the partnership of going in now and looking at it from a work a frontline worker and and leadership and saying. Hey, you know, what systemically failed here? Because a lot of times when the incidents happen, if there's an incident that happened to you, it's already happened. We, we can't go back and change the edict on what's already happened. But what can we learn from it to make sure that the next person that goes there, if they have a bad process, if we have a bad procedure, if we have a bad piece of equipment, what do we need to change systemically to make sure that when they go back there, the next person, they're in a better place than, than we were? And I think that's that's how you're going to move that mark of that flat line that we talked about with fatalities and serious injuries is start saying, hey, we need to fix that system, make it really robust and start driving that capability down. Right. Yeah. Used to kind of drive me crazy that uh, they would put something in place, machine, process, whatever, and then they'd call safety in after it was there. Yeah. And you unfortunately have to point out, well, this may happen or that may happen. They hate that <laughs> word of ambulance. It's always worse. <laughs> they hate that word of ambulance chasers, but that's exactly what happens. It's a reactive. It's been safety has been reactive oh, um, for, for too some long. time, and and so. I start telling people, hey, you really need to start thinking about being proactive. And I'm fortunate. I have a lot of really great people that I've learned from in this side of the business as well with Hop, from Rob Fisher, Todd Conklin, a lot of the really big name guys. I've spoke at events with them and I've actually sat down with them and had quite a few discussions around this because they are also, you know, like me, practitioners, but they're also experts that have been at this for a long, long time. A couple of those guys have been on national transportation boards, which as a civilian to get picked to be on a national transportation board investigation committee, you have to be pretty incredible to be a civilian on one of those committees. So those guys are, I know, I, I always like to do a shout out to Todd and uh, to Rob Fisher because they're, they're people that I respect a lot in this business. So what are the traps and triggers to look out for when assessing a workplace? So when we're looking at traps and triggers, they have you know, a lot of uh, science around that. And they talk about the top 10 traps and triggers that are out there. And those traps and triggers could be distraction. I'm just going to use a few. Um, distractions are a big one. You know, when you have people that are distracted, stress, um, people laugh. They say, hey, you know, if you're having a bad day at home, 
and you bring that into the shop, are you going to systemically affect someone else? Because now you're not on your A game. So those are all traps that if if I see you, Sheila, and you come to work and you're normally bubbly and easy going, and today you're pretty edgy and you're pretty standoffish, that that's a that's a trigger or a trap to me that hey Sheila might not be on her A game. Hey, what's what's happening, Sheila? And you say, Hey, I had a grandchild that kept me up all night, or I had a daughter that's seriously sick or those kinds of things. So those kinds of things are going to carry over to the workplace and become a trap uh, or a trigger for, for, for incident, because now we have, even though you may be the best worker in our place, if you have that going on, the human fallibility is going to take over and that's going to be another place where you need to be looking out for it. So taking actions based on those traps and triggers are really important. You're also going to hear people say things in their modes, which are, I won't get into very much here, but, and they're going to say things like, I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost certain. When you hear those words, those are tr trigger words that immediately tell me that they're in a very undesirable mode. They're in a place where they don't know what they don't know. Um, right. They're not sure of the outcome, those kinds of things. So very important to pick up on someone saying, I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost certain. Those are also, those trigger and trap words that are going to put people in a in a really low uh, percentage where some of the modes that you can be in in air reduction and human performance, like they call it knowledge-based performance mode, your best um, odds of getting into an incident are 10%. And the worst could be as high as 50%. Wow. So, so if I said, when you're in knowledge-based performance mode, your best could be that you're 10% right. And the worst could be that you're 50% wrong. You know, that's a very important number to, to look at. Right. So Especially when somebody says, a parachute, I, right. Right. Somebody <laughs> says, I think I'm pretty sure I'm almost certain they could have a 10 to 50% chance of being in, in that era. Right. So wow. really important to, to pick up on that and then make those changes within the system to make sure that we're accounting for that. That's a supervisory skill, though, too, to be able to locate those triggers that you're talking to people. And that a lot of it's behavior based. I was talking to a couple younger people in the safety world, and it's all about behaviors and, you know, rewarding good things, not punishing that sort of thing. And I like to see that mindset has changed over the years. So Absolutely. You're right, going right along with it. So we still have a long ways to go. I think oh, yeah. everyone, I, I always tell people, hey, you know, um, this sounds like a really pretty soapbox, but it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 a long ways from being perfect because that human element that I talked about about the blame culture is still there. And we, the minute something bad happens, we want to find someone to shed the blame to instead of taking responsibility for it as a as a corporation. So that that in itself is a challenge because the minute something happens, we want to do a stand down. You hear people talk about. I'm going to do a safety stand down with my people. And, and all they do is take the rule and stand in front of the group and say it louder and slower. Okay. Real effective, real effective. Not, 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 not going to change anything. No, but, but I would rather you say, Hey Doug, this procedure is not very good. How do we change that? So that the next person goes there, doesn't have the same struggles that I have. It's a relationship issue too. It really is. It is. Okay. It is expecting everybody's contribution to be valuable. I mean, that shouldn't be that hard to understand, but that's where it's at. Absolutely. 
So how does this differ, differ from task, task analysis that we all know and love? So task analysis is also important. I tell people like, like I always tell people, I, I really don't like to say, hey, this is a really good potion and this is a really bad potion because task analysis is very important. And this error reduction principle and uh, hop principle is really based around this person on this task at this time. It's not how many times you've done the job. It's how many times have you done that job today with those circumstances? Because I ask you, every time you get in your car and you drive it, is the circumstances the same? No. No. So one time you might have a dog run out in front of you. The next time you might have rain. Right. The next day you might have snow. So I tell people all the time, even though you're doing a task that you're very familiar with, you may not have done it in that element. You may not have done it in that situation. So telling people, hey, I want you to look at this person on this task at this time becomes part of that task analysis. So saying, I don't want you to do a task analysis based on that you're gonna sweep the floor. I want you to do a task analysis on sweeping the floor today in this situation with someone driving by on a forklift or something else changing in the environment, not not just sweeping the floor, right? And and I know that's a very simple task and what we're talking about, but. Well, just think well, about driving to work every day. Say you take the same route every day and you'll ask somebody, do you remember what you saw on the way? And you go, wow, I really don't. We kind of get into a hypnosis right. state, you think, when we do something over and over. Do you ever have observations from other employees? Does that figure into this as well? What Absolutely. So we are very, um, peer driven, um, compared to what we were five years ago and 10 years ago, it was unheard of. You know, we just weren't doing that much peer, but we're doing a lot of peer to peer. So when we do what we call our tailboard or what you're talking about task, um, pre-job brief, um, discussion, we're saying, Hey, if I notice that Sheila is not on her a game, that, that is part of the equation. I need to make sure that if she's not on our A game, maybe I need to bring another employee over there with us because we we need to account for the fact that she might not be on our A game, even though she may be the best person here. And I think that that becomes part of that task analysis is looking at the task individually, not looking at the task overall, because like I'm alignment. So if you said, hey, we're going to change 30 poles on this road and Every one of those pole locations are not the same. So every time I go there, one might have a, a customer that's angry. The next one I might go to might have soft dirt. The next one might have be a bee's nest next to it. So all of those things become part of the task analysis at the site. So, so the system part is trying to get people systemically to go job to job to job to job. And not only look at it from a jobs perspective, but a peer-to-peer -peer perspective and a system perspective, not looking at it at its entirety, not just looking at the job as being a job. Because everyone would say, well, poll is a poll is a poll. Right. Every lineman can change a poll the same way. That's that's not true. That's not true. Um, no. right. Just watching, you know, just seeing where the polls are located as I go down the street, you can see that there's something different. So everybody is actually involved in the process is what you're saying. Absolutely. And, it, and they should be. And I think that there, again, it's a maturation process. You have to get the leaders adopting that mindset. 
And then you got to start doing some peer-to-peer -peer stuff where the peer-to-peers start adapting that mindset. When they, I, What's funny is that all the people that we've trained, when they hear the word, I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost certain, that you can tell that their antennas are going up because they're they're hearing those trigger words that people are going to be in that knowledge-based performance mode and have error rates as high as 50%. That completely gets people as attention. So I said, hey, when you go home today, if you want to make fun of it, go home, not think about work at all, but go home to a teenage um, boy or girl and listen how many times they tell you in a week's time. I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost certain. So now they're in this place where if they're driving your car and that's what they're saying, what what percentage of failure could they have, right? Oh, I don't think I throw that 50% one around too often. I'd never give the kid the car. <laughs> yeah, I just, but I just think it's really important. Like people say it's only work oriented, but it's way past that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not everything you do is going to lead to an accident or injury. Right. But like you say, when somebody says, I think that's how you do it, you're thought, I'm not sure they know what they're doing. I mean, that pops in your head. It really does. And And what the best trigger, I mean, the best rotation for that is, saying when somebody says, I think, or I'm pretty sure saying, Hey, do we have a procedure? And if we go get the procedure and we follow it step-by-step, step, we improve ourselves from that 10% to one in a hundred. And then if we say those steps out loud, what we call verbalized point touch, then you, you multiply that by 10 again. So you could be from one in 10 to one in a thousand, just by getting the procedure and reading it out loud as you, as you do it. So people, they can steer themselves out of that. It's not that they're in that place and they, they have nowhere to go. Well, even, you know, I, I had episodes where people said, well, this fellow, this person is accident prone. That's a, <laughs> and we would set them aside. We wouldn't have them work on this. And I'm going, well, that's what you're talking about. That's a cop-out for sure. Yeah. Right? That's, well, it is, but that's peers. That's peers reacting what? to someone who's not right on their game. Like you talked about, but they don't but weren't comfortable enough to tell management Somebody needs to do something about this person. They just don't seem to right. get it, you know, and that's hard for people to do. Sure. So how do you hold somebody accountable when it really is something? So they here's, here's the crazy part. This is going to be the other part that will probably get you on the six o'clock news for me. But I, but <laughs> I tell people that how many people do you think put their feet on the floor every day with thoughts of coming to violate at work? The answer is pretty low, right? Um, I would hope. Uh, probably never. Um, very, very few people. And they, so the statistics, not Doug Hill, the statistics from science say two to 4% are willful violating. They're, they're, they're violating. Like they, they say, Hey, I, I, Sheila, here's, I have a rule for wearing gloves and I don't believe in the rule. So I'm never going to wear the gloves. So if I tell you that on the front end, I'm willfully violating, I'm telling you that I am not on for wearing the gloves, right? Mm -hmm. But most cases, people will do it because they get distracted. Those traps and triggers become in there. So they are doing something else and they forget where their gloves are and they just go ahead and do the job without them. So a lot of those times, those are cases where the accountability would be saying, hey, Sheila, here's the gloves that you forgot over there. And she said, you say, hey, thank you. I appreciate that. I forgot. I was got distracted and I forgot to put them on completely different way of accounting, making accountability than, than saying, having you say to me, I'm not going to wear the gloves. If you say that, 
I tell people you have to use any and all means to change the behavior, whatever that is. If it's a discipline process, whatever it is, but very few times is that the case. Most cases, it's a systemic thing that we've got distracted with that we've either got distracted or we took our eyes off the prize or we didn't have the right tool. So we used a different tool, those kinds of things. So those workarounds generally become the bigger piece for accountability. And I think a that's, lot of times, I mean, that's true. It's, I mean, it seems like there, there are some isolated, we focus on the isolated incident of somebody who shows up under the influence or, you know, sure. something like that, or they're ill and they don't say anything about it. So we tend to focus on those instead of maybe we didn't have the right tools for them. Maybe we sure. didn't have enough PPE for them. You know, maybe we need to focus a different way that it's not deliberate. It's just the way the system is. I don't know how much time we have, but I, but I, the, one of the stories that I, that I tell all the time is that if, if a partner and I are doing a job and we get to a procedure where in step three of that procedure, it's not written very well. It's kind of ambiguous. And we do, because I'm experienced and my partner's experienced, we do a workaround and we get the job done. And most people, their supervisor would say, great, excellent job. Got the work done. Okay. But tomorrow we send a couple of junior people to do exactly the same thing. And they use the same procedure. And one of them grabs the wrong tool and ends up hurting their partner seriously. And they'll say, what's wrong with those people? What don't they, don't they know how to follow directions? Those kinds of things. When realistically the system problem was, is that we should have identified and brought forward that that procedure was not good, made the changes so that when they went there the next day, that procedure was in a place where they did get the right tool and they did follow the procedure correctly. And we may not have put anyone at risk at all. So a lot of this is that piece of accountability is saying me as an experienced person could have been accountable there for what happened to someone else. And they would, in this case, would have blamed the junior employees when it was probably the senior employees that should have made that change. If they were following, you know, right? because we're educating, even though we don't know it. Absolutely. So how, so how do you educate? I think we've talked a bit about it, but how do you educate employees at the task level on the triggers for errors? So a lot of it is listening for those trigger words, those those trigger words that we talked about and actions. One of the actions that they talk about when you're in knowledge-based performance mode where your error rate is 10 to 50% is you'll see people doing this. <laughs> they start scratching their head, walking around a piece of equipment. You've seen it at home. The minute somebody starts scratching their head and they're taking that <laughs> really serious look at something, they're in knowledge-based. And, and they're telling you that just indirectly. So a lot of times it's picking up on that and saying, hey, are you are you clear on this? And they say, well, I think this is yeah. the way it goes. So there's your next trigger word. So we say, okay, let's go get the procedure and let's work through it step by step. And let's say those steps out loud to move us from that 10% to one in a thousand or one in 10,000 um, based on using those tools, right? So a lot of this is really um, educating people on listening for those traps and triggers. Um, there's of those top 10 air traps. There's a lot of ones that put you and keep you in knowledge base, uh, which is you, you want to make sure that you're steering yourself out of that. There's two ways to get your out of, yourself out of knowledge based performance mode where your error rates 10 to 50 percent. 
And the two things are a subject matter expert, which is somebody that's done it 50 to 100 times in a short period of time. And I say that's very important because doing it 50 times over the course of a 30-year career is not doing it 50 to 100 in a short period of time. So they're basically saying, if you have someone's a subject matter expert and they've done it 50 to 100 times, that's a subject matter expert and or a document. If you, if you have a document or a subject matter expert, that's how you steer yourself out of that knowledge-based performance mode. And that's a really, like, that's just one of many. I know we don't have time to cover all those, but I, they're, that's a really important one for people um, doing that accountability and making sure they make those changes. Absolutely. Uh, what advice would you give other EHS professionals to create these techniques in their workplace? Well, I think that you've, you know, you've had me on here before talking about culture. And I tell people that culture is still the number one pup in the dog kennel. If you you have to make sure that that kennel is healthy, wealthy, and wise when it comes to uh, culture. But what I mean is that if you have a poor culture, I wouldn't advise moving into the HOP space because this is a more mature model of looking at work and saying to if your culture is good, you can start evaluating each other and trying to change that systemic view of what's happening. So when you're talking about EHS people, I tell them, Make sure you work on getting a, a just culture, which you can move into looking at your system. Because if if your culture is not good, you're going to be in a blame culture, which is which is completely opposite of what the HOP and error reduction space looks like. Well, that's pretty good advice. Like you say, I think a lot of the doer safety people are moving into that mode. It's you know working with people, relationships, behaviors, that kind of right. thing. And it's yeah, hugely important. But if you can't talk to your supervision, if you can't talk to the boss and be honest and not be criticized, be critical, that's, you know, I can say it's a mature workplace, but hopefully we're moving in that direction, right? <laughs> well, I tell people all the time that I've had the unfortunate um, of being around families that were affected by very um, serious incidents. Uh, whether it's in our company or out of our company. And there's nothing that those family members or friends or coworkers want more than to fix the problem. That they, they almost always say to you, hey, whatever happened here, please learn what you need to, to make sure that you don't put someone else in this space again. Hey, Doug, do you have any final thoughts for me? Well, I completely uh, appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity to speak about this. I think this is what I call next level um, safety, uh, really uh, nationwide. I tell people that this is not anything new. And one of the things that I tell people, if you don't believe in this system, go to an airport. The airline industry is probably the poster child for this. Um, they are the number one uh, HOP lead in the country next to nuclear power, which nuclear power is not as prevalent as it used to be. But the airline industry has a, a track record in this space that's unmatched. If you go to Detroit Metro Airport and see how many planes take off and land every day successfully, that is completely because they believe in systemic safety. They believe in looking at the system and not so much concentrating on the human being. The human being is part of that system but the system itself is what makes it robust. And that's what makes the airline industry what it is. So I tell people all the time, 
we would like to have the utility industry have the same standard as what we see from the airline industry on this subject. So for me, that's if you if you want some you know some really good uh, grounding material, that that's <laughs> that's the best grounding material I can give to people. So I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, talking through this. I believe in this uh, subject wholeheartedly, and I'm you know be willing to have a conversation with anybody that was interested. That's great. Thanks, Doug. Uh, my thoughts are it's about relationships. It's about looking at the system. It's about not placing blame. It's about making everybody's job a little safer, a little better, a nice place to work. Helps morale. So I'd like to thank Doug Hill from Consumers Energy. He can be reached at douglas.hill at cmsenergy.com. If you have any questions about the podcast, the Michigan Safety Conference, or if you'd like to be a guest or sponsor one of our podcasts, information can be found at our website at michsafetyconference.org. Thank you for listening to Safety Spectrum. This is Sheila Eyes.